We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. It's warmer than it's been. Yeah. So. It's a little, hey, here you go, before we get a potential, what, five feet of snow in the next three days? Nice. So, yeah, I think... I like being trapped in my house. <laughs> right. It was like, Merry Christmas, don't leave. Ever. I, I think they said this is going to potentially be like the highest accumulation we'll get. Five feet is the average, not the highest, I think. Last I checked. For over three days. Sweet. Yeah. So, as per usual, I was late starting my notes for this week's episode. And I got, like, most of the way through them before I was like, this is really boring. Awesome. Perfect. So I was like, well, fuck, because it was, like, 9 o'clock at night. And I remembered that I had this really fun story that I had written for Pineapple Pizza that was fairly long, and it falls within our time frame. Nice. So I pulled that. And just expanded upon it. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. Perfect. And for those who don't know, what is Pineapple Pizza? So Pineapple Pizza is the other podcast that I was a part of with my friends Ashley from Studying Scarlet and Emily from Drink Drunk Dead. We have stopped producing new episodes just because all of our lives got pretty busy and it was Mm -hmm. just more stressful than it was fun. So we stopped at episode 70. We still have the back catalog up if you'd like to listen to it. And I can include a link in the show notes. But the show is about myths, cryptids, and urban legends from different countries around the world. Mm -hmm. And in this week's episode, we are going to go to Ireland. Nice. And you will learn more about the Hellfire Club. Oh, nice. Okay. Let's do it. Do you know what the Hellfire Club is? No. Awesome. I know the the shirt on Stranger Things. Oh, yes. It is not that Hellfire Club. Yeah, I figured. But. Figured, figured. Thought we should clarify. This is not associated with Stranger Things. Or Eddie Munson. Sorry. <laughs> That'd be amazing if it was. <laughs> anyway. He's actually uh, from Ireland in the <laughs> early whatever period of time we are in. He's from the 18th century. He just time-traveled to the 1980s. I mean, honestly, stranger things have happened on that show, so that would check out. Mm -hmm. The mullet was also of the style then in the 18th (laughs) century, and so he fit in seamlessly into the 80s. Mm -hmm. Yep. Perfect. Information was pulled (laughs) from the following sources. A 2022 article on the Irish Central website by Deborah Kelly. 
2021 Expert Vagabond article by Matthew Karsten, 2020 Evoke article by Claire Highland, 2018 Ireland Before You Die article by Paris Donatella Callan, 2018 The Sun article by Nicola Barden, a Barda Heritage website, Dictionary of Irish Biography, a Dublin website article by Genevieve Fitzgerald, the Twickenham Museum, seven Wikipedia links, Wikiwand, and World Abandoned. Wikiwand? Yeah. It was like the Wizarding World of Wiki. <laughs> I was just going to say, is it like witchcraft Wikipedia? I don't, I don't know. It was, it was interesting. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. Today we're going to follow the beautiful forest trails in the Dublin Mountains up Montpellier, also known as Montpellier Hill, where you'll find the remains of a stone hunting lodge that's at the center of one of Ireland's darkest secrets. Ooh. The Hellfire Club. Of course it's a hunting lodge in the middle of nowhere and mountaintop. Mm-hmm. The haunted ruins of this stone building are all that remains of the Irish Hellfire Club, a group of supposed Satanists and devil worshippers who would regularly invite Satan to join them each evening for dinner and hold black masses. Oh, that's kind of nice. Hey, you want to you come eat dinner? We saved you a spot. <laughs> We've got sacrifices. <laughs> Made in your name with garlic butter sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love goats? <laughs> the members were the elite of society, of including peers of the realm, wealthy gentlemen and artists, not to mention high-ranking army officers. Ooh, military twist. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and just a heads up, everyone in this story is a piece of garbage, so don't feel like you have to hold back on making fun of them. Awesome. Because it's okay. Okay. Because <laughs> I know sometimes you're like, oh, should I make fun of this person? Are they really okay? No, they're all pieces of shit. So they're you can make fun of them as much people. as you want. Perfect. Yeah. Great. I just wanted to give you free reign. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm ready. Over the years, the legends surrounding the Hellfire Club have altered, from dealings with the devil to human sacrifice and orgies. Checks out. Hedonist check. <laughs> yes. Check on the Was list. there wine? There must be wine. Oh, yeah. You know there was. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if that was the only thing they didn't do? <laughs> they didn't drink. Right. <laughs> we're, we're a dry society. <laughs> we only drink the blood of the innocent. Don't bring any of that beer into this house yeah <laughs> there's only whores in this house <laughs> in fact so many tales have been told about the irish hellfire club that it's hard to separate fact from fiction that checks out so what really happened at the hellfire club it was just three guys a bottle of beer and some sad 
meats. <laughs> this is the worst charcuterie board I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just like squirrels and moles, whatever else they can find. Just a bunch of snails. Some nuts they foraged on the way yeah. up to the top of the mountain. Berries that make them sick later. Mm-hmm. These berries gave me dysentery. <laughs> what? Dysentery berries. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> Only found in Ireland. <laughs> For thousands of years, the crest of Montpellier was the site of an ancient cairn, or a mound Ooh. of rough stones built as a memorial or landmark. Nice. That included a passage grave. Ooh. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Don't like that. Sure. The cairn is believed to date back all the way to the Neolithic period, which is 4,500 to 2,000 BC. Dang. A passage grave or passage tomb is a structure that includes numerous burial chambers, usually covered in earth or protected by stones, that includes, as the name suggests, a narrow passage made of large stones in order to access the various chambers. Typically, the dead would be buried with objects significant to them, such as pins made of bone or antler, stone <laughs> pendants, quartz or tools, or a form of pottery known as carochilware, which are red clay pots in a okay. variety of sizes with a round bottom, and they're decorated with stab and drag patterns. Nice. So it's like yield pampered chef. I want to die with my pots in pants. <laughs> They're super pretty. So I was like, I, I wouldn't mind that. I that mean, nice. If I were to die in that age, you know I'm. I'm about to be buried with a bunch of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> what were her most prized possessions? Rocks. Rocks. So many rocks. They just cover you in stones. It's just a goblin. Who's buried here? You know, you know. Maddie, the stone lady. <laughs> the crazy stone lady. The pebble peddler. <laughs> <laughs> buried under the thing she loved most. This ancient burial ground just happened to be located on a very nice hill. So nice was this hill that in 1725, William Connolly, the Irish speaker of the commons, decided to purchase it and the surrounding Rathfernham estate from Philip Wharton, first Duke of Wharton. So he's like, this is cool. I don't care if it's supposed to be preserved. I want it and I want to do stuff to it. Yep. Gross. Continue. William Connolly was born the son of an innkeeper on April 9th, 1662 in Ballyshannon County, Donegal. He went to Dublin to study law and qualified as an attorney in 1685 at the age of 23. Dang. Right? Moving on up. In 1694, he married Catherine Conningham, but the pair wouldn't have children. I don't know why. He ate them. <laughs> he sacrificed each one. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Nom, 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 nom. And why, pray tell, did William want this specific hill? The rocks. So he could build a new hunting lodge. Yeah. Duh. In fact, William decided it was a great idea to use the very stones from the sacred cairn to build his lodge. He, listen, he's just reducing, reusing, and recycling. 
mm-hmm. with horrible consequences. Yep. Really intense, terrible consequences. How dare he use my rocks? <laughs> right? Desecrated your rock tomb. Even though he used sacred ghost stones, the lodge was actually quite luxurious and included a hall and reception rooms on the first floor, which can no longer be accessed because the stairs were destroyed. Who needs stairs? Stairs are for losers. <laughs> stairs are for people that don't care enough. Right. Stairs, stairs just mean you're not motivated. <laughs> you're just not trying hard to enough. To all those weird like TikTokers and like Facebook video people are like, stairs are a barrier Aren't real. to your best self. <laughs> Parkour. <laughs> and then they break their legs. Jump into your truest potential. <laughs> so those are like... <laughs> they're sponsored by like what's that like calcium supplement the osteoporosis drugs <laughs> they're just they're all sponsored by big milk <laughs> big not, milk not dairy just milk <laughs> big <exclusively>. milk <laughs> <sighs> the ground floor included the kitchens and servants quarters and the lodge itself was named montpelier after the hill When construction of the lodge was completed, the roof blew off shortly after, and many believed it to be the work of the devil as a form of retribution for the destruction of the burial site. But wouldn't the devil like the desecration of a burial site? Wouldn't he be like, haha, that's hilarious. (laughs) Maybe they were his peeps, and he was like, listen, these people liked me. They made me these beautiful pots. Right. Fuck you. Where's my yield pampered chef? <laughs> <laughs> I have fingers that need roasting <laughs> that I just recently plucked. <laughs> I have so many babies to eat and I so have nothing many, to cook them with. So many babies. So little <laughs> so little pottery. The roof was replaced with an arch stone roof that still stands. William himself died four years after the end of its construction on October 30th, 1729, without ever really having a chance to use it. That's kind of funny. It would be yeah. it would be better if he like stepped in. He was like, this is a bit and then like died. <laughs> or he was in there when the roof blew off and he blew yeah. off with the roof. Or like the new roof, just one singular block hit him in just the right spot on <laughs> the back of his head. This building has been christened with the blood of the innocent. (laughs) One of those pots just comes out of nowhere. (laughs) Just falls from the ceiling. (laughs) All right, let's go back to Duke Philip, who he bought the land from. Okay. Philip Wharton, first Duke of Wharton, was born the son of Honest Tom Wharton, who was the first Marquess of Wharton and his second wife, Lucy Loftus, on December 21st, 1698. That was a lot of very fancy names. It was. Even Lucy. Like, Lucy Mm -hmm. Loftus? She sounds like Lois Lane. And conveniently, Loftus of the Loftus Hall Loftuses. Remember that episode (laughs) we did? My first thought initially was Loftus, uh, oh, of Lofthouse Cookies, the sugar cookies? (laughs) You know, delicious. Wow. <laughs> delicious and timely, considering it's December. <laughs> I had no idea that those those 
cookies were royal. Like, wow, that's so... <laughs> and Irish. Wow. Who knew? I mean, it is a giant shortbread cookie. So it's just, uh... <laughs> oh, of the loft house. Great. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. No. Witty, well-educated, and eloquent, he succeeded his father in 1715 at the age of 16. A month later, he eloped with Martha Holmes, who was the daughter of Major General Richard Holmes. Sorry, how can a 16-year-old boy be witty? I don't know. And like... I don't know, his dad died. (laughs) His dad died, (laughs) he just absorbs all of his information. All of his wit and edumacation. Right. I am now so witty and intelligent. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> and I'm going to marry... <laughs> right after your death. That's a insane. month later. 17-year-old boy getting married. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. After traveling for two years to France and Switzerland, he returned to Ireland where he entered the Irish House of Lords as Marquess of Catherla when he was 18. He was dubbed Duke of Wharton by King George I in 1718 at the age of 19. He escalates quickly. Yeah. He's on Facebook telling you how to manifest your dreams. <laughs> yeah. Listen, at 15, I knew nothing. I was garbage. <laughs> I had manifested my dad to die so I could absorb <laughs> his knowledge and take on the family name. Now I'm witty and successful. Now I'm the Duke of Warden. (laughs) Live your dreams. (laughs) Reach for your dreams. Now we're going to get a little sad. The following year, his wife gave birth to a son named Thomas, who died the following year from smallpox. But don't feel too bad, because it turns out that the Duke was a notorious drunk. Right. A drunk who also happened to be the founder of the original Hellfire Club in the United Kingdom in 1719. Philip thought that the club would be a hilarious way to mock the church, and to prove it, he appointed the devil himself as president of the club. (laughs) The devil was like, listen, my calendar is so full up. I don't know if I can commit to this. I also am a troop leader for the Boy Scouts of America. Like, I got lots of responsibilities. Right. And they're like, what's America? <laughs> He's like, like, you'll find out. You'll find out. Just you wait. <laughs> it's going to be great. Let me tell you about this thing called colonization. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Follow lot, your dreams. A lot of you will go there because of colonization. <laughs> Manifest your dreams. Just like manifest destiny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, history is trash. History is horrible. It's all bad. All right. (laughs) Philip became Grand Master of the Premier Grand Lodge of England in 1723. And following the death of his wife in 1726, he married Maria Theresa O'Neill O'Bairn, who was a maid of honor to the queen. Okay. So he's moving on up. Yeah, and he married her just three months after his wife died. Yeah. He's like, listen, I don't have children. I don't know how to take care of this house. Somebody yeah. needs to do it for me. I have so many responsibilities. I'm secondhand to the devil in this club. <laughs> <laughs> Satan needs me. I don't know what to tell you. He does. Drowning in debt, 
Philip was considered a dangerous person to be around. It's said that he exposed himself at his wedding to the entire wedding party, including the bride, to show her, quote, what she was to have that night in her guts, end quote. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's just such a, such a sad thing to do. I love that, like, I'm still saying, like, my dick is so big. It's gonna get into your guts, girl. Like, even back then. That's amazing. So everybody knows this is the type of heat I'm packing. As you were. Let's dance. Let's get wasted. She has, she has to, like, go back to the queen the next day for work. That's her maid of honor. <laughs> I have been horribly disgraced, Your Grace. <laughs> did your did your new husband just whip his dick out at your <laughs> Yes, my queen. Yes, yes, he did. <sighs> Philip enlisted in a Spanish foot regiment and died in the monastery at Poblet at the age of thirty-two. Good. Yeah, Alexander Pope, a poet, satirist, and letter writer, wrote at length about Philip's death in his first moral essay in seventeen thirty-one. Stating, quote, Wharton, the scorn and wonder of our days, whose ruling passion was the lust of praise. Can, so was a uh, letter writer the position bloggers have today? Probably. <laughs> Check out how bitchin' my letter writing skills is. Right. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I've got letters of all your favorite. <laughs> high-ranking officials <laughs> and local pig farmers you want to know about it i wrote a letter <laughs> in the life and times right of alexander pope <laughs> it's unclear when and why williams hunting lodge became the base of operations for the hellfire club as it's believed the club would meet at several different establishments one of which being eagle tavern on court hill Near Dublin Castle. Maybe because they were like, we can't get away with as much stuff here. <laughs> we need to be further away in the wilderness. Yeah. Where it's made out of ghost stone. <laughs> Ooh, ghost stone. <laughs> Perfect. In 1735, the lodge would fall into the hands of the Irish Hellfire Club's founder, First Earl of Ross, Richard Parsons who was known to dabble in black magic, as one does, just dabble. as well as a portrait painter and actor named James Warsdale. So pick me girl. Got it. Yeah. Richard Parsons was born in 1696 as the second Viscount and first Earl of Ross Ooh. and the only surviving son of Sir Richard Parsons, first Viscount Ross and his third wife, Elizabeth. Okay. So he's the only surviving one because he used the black magic to manifest them out. <laughs> and death. Right. Listen, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> You're really harsh in the vibe. You're harsh in the vibe. I gotta let you go. Including wife's, wife one and two. Richard was married several times. The first to marry Paulette on June 25th, 1714 at the age of 18 with whom he had a son named Richard in 1718 and a daughter named Elizabeth, of which I have no information because she's a girl. Those are like the most common names of that time, too. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, he was a dick, and then his son was a dick. Yeah. And following Mary's death on October 15th, 1718, he remarried to Francis Claxton in 1719. Okay. So a year a year after his son's birth. At least he waited a year. Yeah. I guess. It's better than the last guy. Right. He was elected the first Grand Master of the Freemasons in Ireland in 1725 at the age of 29, and then again in 1730. Look at him. I know. Freemasons. Richard was, unsurprisingly, a bit of a piece of shit. (laughs) I was going to be like, gross? (laughs) (laughs) He got off on shocking pretty much everyone he encountered, not to mention the fact that he was a gambler, habitual drunk, and our favorite, a womanizer. Yeah, I think the several wives is uh, proof of that. Mm-hmm. He believed himself to be a bit of a hilarious prankster. Oh, with dead cats or something? <laughs> <laughs> no. I killed your cat. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> you, you just Remember? got duked. <laughs> You just got dicked. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) He would regularly greet his neighbor, a member of the clergy named Dr. Madden, while fully nude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That type of of prankster. Okay. (laughs) Nice prank. This is my dick. And my name's Dick. Have fun (laughs) at church. Bye. It was very fitting. He waves with his dick as he heads to church. (laughs) When his indulgences finally began to take their toll... Dr. Madden sent Richard a letter that contained a detailed list of all of his sins addressed to my lord. That's amazing. Richard, in a final act of scampery, Mm. sent the letter to Robert Fitzgerald, the Earl of Kildare, while on his deathbed. The Earl was outraged by the supposed attack of his character, which included, quote, whoring, gaming, Drinking, rioting, turning the day into night, (laughs) blaspheming his maker, and in short, all manner of wickedness, end quote. Yeah. (laughs) He was so upset that he confronted Dr. Madden about the letter. Oh. By the time the two had connected and the matter had been cleared up, Richard was already dead, having (laughs) achieved his last laugh. (laughs) That's kind of great. That is a little great. (laughs) And the funniest part is it wasn't even like the letter was addressed to him and he just forwarded it on to somebody else. He's (laughs) like, what the fuck? (laughs) Who did this? What up? I don't even know you, Dr. Madden. Why are you writing a letter to God? (laughs) me. I don't whore around. I don't turn the day into night. What is happening here? Dick's like, that's what we do on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Turn down for what Tuesdays? Let's fast die young. Another member of the Hellfire Club was the Master of Rebels, James Warsdale, who would go on to establish another Hellfire Club of his own in Askerton on in County Limerick. All right. Born into poverty, he worked as an apprentice to portraitist Godfrey Neller. He would get fired from his apprenticeship after secretly marrying Godfrey's niece. Nice. (laughs) Whoops a doodle. (laughs) She was hot. I said, you want to do this? She said, yes. Sorry about it. Sorry, bro. (laughs) 
Jimmy strikes again. <laughs> Known for his love of debauchery, James had a habit of attaching himself to wealthy members of the gentry. His notoriety was noted in print in 1740 when Matthew Garnier and James Wynne published a scathing poem about his character. Oh no, not a scathing poem! Uh, that read as follows, quote, Though Warsdale is for satire too obscure, must he uncensored artfully procure? Frequent as painter his employer's house, and thence delude his mistress or spouse? True to the lover's procreating cause, he breaks all ties, all hospital laws, and pimps resistless while his pencil draws. End quote. Ooh. Damn, yeah. son. He just got smacked down by poetry. Adulterer and whore. Mm-hmm. James apparently tried and failed miserably to seduce Letitia Pilkington, who was a poet, adventurous, and described by Jonathan Swift as, quote, the most profligate whore in either kingdom, end oh. quote. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> what? Way to come for her neck, damn. She was a really famous courtesan, so still, <laughs> that was a funny way of describing it. Yeah. She's a whore. <laughs> what? She's like a adventurer, like all this crazy stuff. And she fucks dudes. <laughs> Gross. It's like her Tinder profile. I'm a poet. I'm adventurous. And I like dudes. Right. A lot. So much so it's my job. <laughs> if interested, write a letter to... Letitia once wrote about how James and likely his Hellfire Club friends once broke into her lodgings, forcing her to lock herself in her dining room to escape from them. That's scary. Mm-hmm. The glass that James Warsdahl used at the Hellfire Club meetings that took place at Eagle Tavern has survived and can be seen in the Philadelphia Museum of Art. It's engraved with, quote, James Warsdale, Master of the Rebels, end quote, and the Hellfire Club, as well as a depiction of all the members seated with glasses, except for one that is giving a toast. James left Dublin for Munster and eventually returned to England. He would also outlive almost all of his fellow club members. James died in London on June 19th, 1767, at the age of 75, and is buried in St. Paul's Covent Garden. He wrote his own epitaph. Of course he did. That states, quote, Eager to get, but not to keep, the pelf. A friend to all mankind, except himself. End quote. Right. Glad you're dead, Jimmy. That was terrible. Known as a philandering, flamboyant rake. In his will, he left money to five quote-unquote bastards that he acknowledged, as well as to a woman so she could gain independence from her husband. I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know what his connection to her was. (laughs) And Jessica. (laughs) Get out of there, girl. Hey, girl. Get away from that guy. (laughs) One of the most notorious members was a landowner named Simon Luttrell, first Earl of Carhampton. Carhampton. I'm going to go with that. Simon was born in 1713, the second son of Henry Luttrell, 
who was a famous commander of the Jacobite forces in the war against William of Orange. Oh, okay. Henry was believed to have betrayed his Jacobite comrades and was later murdered. (laughs) Great. After his father's death, Simon became a member of Parliament and earned the rank of Baron Ernham of Wattrellstown. Okay. Simon married Judith Maria Laws on January 22nd, 1735, and would have eight children with her. Ouch. Henry Laws, 2nd Earl of Carhampton, John Luttrell Almius, 3rd Earl of Carhampton, Mm -hmm. Temple Simon, James, Thomas, who died in infancy, Mm -hmm. Anne, Elizabeth, and Lucy. Okay, save the girls for last. Mm Mm-hmm. Simon's rakish behavior earned him the dubious nickname of the King of Hell, (laughs) which had a double meaning as Hell was the name of a district in Dublin famous for its brothels. Ah, got it. There was even a rumor that Simon started courtesan Mary Nesbitt's career after he seduced her. Mm, Probably not true. Probably just a girl. Yeah, I'm assuming that's not true. Legends state that in exchange for clearing his debts, he'd sell his soul to Satan within seven years. When the devil came to collect, Simon was supposedly somehow able to distract him long enough for him to flee. (laughs) Okay. Whether it's true or not, what is true is that after the Irish Hellfire Club dissolved, he moved back to the UK, where he ruthlessly worked his way into becoming the first Earl of Carhampton. He also enjoyed the dubious honor of being named, quote, the worst man in England, end quote. (laughs) What? That escalated quickly. In a poem titled The Diabiliad, the opening lines of which read, quote, expand your sable wings and speed to earth, to every knave of power and imp of birth. Statesmen and peers, these welcome tidings tell that I resolve to quit the throne of hell. But ere I cease to reign, t'will be my care for my dear children to elect an heir. End quote. Nice. Nice burn. Sick burn. <laughs> Sick burn, bro. <laughs> Even with his quote-unquote pact with the devil, he somehow managed to live longer than all the other members of the Hellfire Club when he died in 1787 at the age of 74. Oh, so he wasn't the oldest member. So he was the second. He was the second oldest member. In a contemporary biography, Simon was described as, quote, in short, he was publicly and privately insulted and despised, insomuch that it became a common phrase amongst most ranks of people, and remains to this day, that if a man was inclined to confer the greatest mark of rascality and resentment against his adversary, it was enough to call him a Luttrell. Traitor, villain, bastard, coward, and profligate, and everything that can be conceived odious and horrible, were received, couched, and understood in that one word. End quote. Dang. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> That's worse than the, the poem that he was part yeah. of. So don't call anybody a Luttrell unless they're really, really bad. Right. That's the worst of the sick burns. Fourth Baron Henry Barry, the Lord of Santry, and another member of the club, was one of the youngest members 
and an angry drunk who is suspected of committing at least one murder. Perfect. Henry was born on September 3, 1710, in Dublin, the only son of Henry Barry, 3rd Baron Barry of Santry, and Bridget Domville. The 3rd third, Baron Barry. He earned the title of 4th Baron in 1735 and took his seat in the Irish House of Lords. He married twice. His first wife, Anne Thornton, passed away in 1742, and he remarried in 1750 to Elizabeth Shore of Derby. Nice. He apparently added notches on the barrel of his pistol each time he bested anyone in a duel. Gross. It said that he burned a servant to death in his bed as he slept after he poured brandy over the man and set him on fire. Why? I, I don't know. Even with charges like this against him, one way or another, Henry was always able to weasel his way out of trouble, usually by paying people off. Of course. He was eventually taken to court after being convicted of stabbing another servant named Laughlin Murphy to death. Yes. On August 9th, 1738, Henry and his friends had spent the day drinking at Patrick Corrigan's Tavern in Palmerstown. At one point, Laughlin Murphy was invited by Henry to join the group in their drinking. As the night progressed, many of the members left until all that remained were a man named Mr. Humphreys, Laughlin, and a super drunk Henry. Great. Henry argued repeatedly with Mr. Humphreys, and at several times attempted to pull out his sword, but he was too drunk to do so. Dang. Enraged, he stormed out of the room and collided with Laughlin. He tossed Laughlin back and threatened to run through the next man who spoke. Unfortunately for Laughlin, he, quote, wished that no one might offend the noble lord, end quote. And with that uttered, Henry plunged his sword into Laughlin's side. Jeez. Laughlin didn't die from the wound. But from an infection on September 25th, 1738, after several agonizing weeks of illness. I mean, kind of a fitting death. The attack happened on August 9th, and he didn't die until September 25th. Henry was arrested and indicted for murder. He demanded a trial by his peers. Oh, of course. Which took place at the Irish Houses of Parliament on April 27th. 1739. So, like, way later. Of course. The case, as you can imagine, garnered a lot of public interest. The defense argued that Laughlin had died from a long-standing illness, a rat bite, or from inadequate medical care. You know, one of those. Not the gouging hole in his side. Yeah. Regardless, it was evident by everyone that Henry was guilty, and he was given the death sentence. Henry was able to get a full royal pardon on June 17, 1740, after which he had his title and estates restored. Gross, why? His uncle Donville even paid off all of his enormous debts. That's disgusting. I hate that. Even though he was protected by his powerful friends in the club, none of them wanted anything to do with him following the trial. Yeah, I bet. He spent the rest of his life living in exile in Nottingham, England, where he died alone at the age of 40. 
Two other original members included Henry Ponsonby and Henry Clements. Henry Ponsonby was born in 1685, the son of William Ponsonby, the first Viscount Duncannon. He married his cousin, Lady Frances Brabazon, and sat as a member of the Irish House of Commons for Fettard from 1715 to 1727. Okay. He was also colonel in the 37th Regiment of Foot. Henry Clements was born in 1704 in County Cavan and represented Cavan County in the Irish House of Commons from 1729 to 1745. Both men lost their lives at the Battle of Fontenoy in 1745. Okay. That aside, what was actually done at the Hellfire Club? <laughs> Drinking. We know that for sure. Drinking excessively was required. Mm. And several accounts state that its members would enjoy a drink called Scalfine, which is a blend of hot whiskey and butter. Gross. You mm -hmm. keto bros. <laughs> <laughs> this drink is so good for you, bro. These revelries would often end in the best way possible. Violence and sexual assault. Not to mention that one time that Henry Berry murdered someone. Yep, just the once. It was expected that club members would openly mock the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of given. Yeah. But it's unclear if human sacrifices and packs of the devil actually took place. Well, I mean, they did murder somebody, so there's at least one. Yeah. It is noted that members would leave an empty chair at the table for Satan, but that appears to be the only real ritualistic aspect of the evening. They're just too lazy. Just don't move that chair. Just leave it there. It may not surprise you to learn that black cats played a huge part in the club. One story tells of a young man who went to investigate the goings on at the club. He was found dead the next morning, and a local priest, along with a farmer who had been watching over the young man, went to the club to investigate after believing the man had been murdered. Okay. Upon entering the club, they found a banquet laid out and a huge black cat prowling the room. A black cat whose ears were shaped like horns. Cool. <laughs> the priest, armed with holy water, attempted an exorcism that caused the cat to be torn apart. Oh. After leaving the building, the priest found the man who had gone with him to investigate lying on the ground, covered in deep scratches on his face and neck. Oh. A letter was found that is believed to have been from a member of the Hellfire Club. In this letter, they reference a quote-unquote sacrifice of maidens, but some believe that this refers more to their deflowering mm -hmm. than to them being actually killed. Yeah. This doesn't mean that bad shit didn't happen at the club. There are accounts that one of the rituals of the club included, quote, this is, this is really bad, the dowsing of a cat in Scalfine before setting it on fire. Great. As you can probably tell, the club was basically an excuse for upper-class youth with too much time on their hands and an excess of money to be able to play practical jokes, mainly aimed at the church, mm -hmm. as well as gamble, treat women like shit, and drink a lot. Great. William's Hunting Lodge slash Hellfire Clubhouse was at one point or another damaged by a fire in the 1750s. Maybe from one of the cats? Ugh. 
the origins of which have, like most of the rest of the tale, become a bit of a legend. Mm -hmm. One story says that William's son burnt it to the ground because he didn't want to have to renew the lease. (laughs) Nice. Another says it was burned on purpose to add to its hellish appearance. You know, for aesthetics. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also said that a footman spilled a drink on the coat of Burnchapel Whaley, who prompted the Catholic-hating man to set the poor footman on fire. Great. This fire, which I'm sure is part of what gave old Burnchapel his charming name, reportedly engulfed the club in flames and killed several of its members, effectively putting an end to the club. Good. In one story about the goings-on at the club... It's said that on a snowy night, a stranger came to the lodge seeking shelter from the cold and was invited in by the members so he could take part in their drinking and games of poker. While they were playing, one of the members dropped a card on the floor, and when he bent down to pick it up, he happened to notice that their mysterious stranger had cloven hooves. It's said in one legend that the next day, the lodge was found burned with just the stone shell it is remaining. The only clue as to what happened was a trail of cloven hooves burned into the snow. You know, totally normal thing. Mm -hmm. And if you remember from our episode about Loftus Hall, that story was also used at Loftus Hall. So Mm -hmm. it's a very common story. Yeah. After the decline of the club and the fire at Montpellier, meetings were moved down the hill to Killikey Stewart's house. (laughs) The trial of Henry Berry brought the Hellfire Club's activities to life, and many of its remaining members died in the 1745 Battle of Fontenoy. The club officially ended in 1760. The Hellfire Club Part Due came about thanks to old Burnchapel's son, Buck. (laughs) Buck, okay who instead dubbed it the Holy Fathers when he revived it in 1771. As if the first iteration wasn't bad enough, Buck and his fellow members took hell-raising up a notch if the stories are to be believed. There are rumors of kidnappings, murders, crazy wagers, and even cannibalism after they supposedly killed a farmer's daughter. That's horrific. Mm Mm-hmm. Buck had repairs made to the haunting lodge and meetings resumed there for 30 years. As Buck grew old, as we all do, Mm -hmm. he apparently felt the need to repent for all his wrongdoings. Hmm. In memoirs he penned, he stated that he could feel the devil creeping down the aisle towards him as he was praying one night at church. The experience scared him so much that he left Ireland entirely and instead relocated to the Isle of Man effectively ending the Irish Hellfire Club once and for all. Yeah, because, you know, traveling by boat will get away from Satan. Mm Mm-hmm. Totes. Yeah. He doesn't like water. He hates water so much. (laughs) In 1798, about seven years after the club officially disbanded, a man named Joseph Holt visited Montpellier Lodge and noted in his memoirs that it was starting to fall apart. Hmm. Joseph was a general of the Society of the United Irishmen, and he noted that he spent a night in the ruins while on the Lamb after the conclusion of the 1798 rebellion. The land that the lodge occupies was sold by the Connolly clan in 1800 to a bookseller and politician named Luke White. 
The property passed to the Massey family of Limerick for several years via inheritance before it was eventually purchased by the state. You can still visit the remains of the hunting lodge at the crest of Montpelier, but beware if you do. A number of strange encounters have been reported there over the years, including having necklaces and bracelets pulled by unseen hands. No. Nope. A woman named Tina Barco of the Paranormal Researchers Ireland shared an encounter at the Hellfire Club to newspaper The Sun that reads as follows, quote, Two things happened there on separate nights that I haven't been able to explain and that absolutely terrified me. We were up the Hellfire one night, a group of eight or ten of us. Around 1 a.m., we went in and put the equipment on the floor. Vibration sensors and electromagnetic spectrum or EMS, equipment, and we knew that up there there is no electricity. Mm -hmm. We stood in a circle, and the next minute there was a thud. It was like a vibration went through the whole building, and all the equipment went mental. One of the guys was in the hall, and he is a cynic, and he said a black shadow crossed him, 100%, a tall black shadow. No thanks. Another guy started getting sick. And then a girl said she heard a whisper in her ear, very clear, and it just said, get out. Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. All in the course of one minute. Chaos. That was the first time ever I called an end to the night and said we didn't feel safe. End quote. Jeez. Today, members of the public are allowed to access the building that is maintained by Kuwaita, the Irish Forestry Board. You can visit from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. April through September and 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. October through March. Nice. And that is the Hellfire Club. Well, that was all bad. Thanks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag that sucked. (laughs) If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the host of Crime and Crime Again. On my podcast, I cover lesser-known true crime cases. I tell the stories that you may not have heard before. Join me in bringing light to the stories of the missing and murdered, and being a voice when their own has been silenced. You can find Crime and Crime again anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And this week's podcast plug is the Crime and Crime Again podcast. Join host Chelsea Deanne as she delves into the cases of the missing and murdered, focusing on the lesser-known stories that you may not have heard before. And we will have a link to her show in the show notes. Awesome. What is something good you'd like to share? My rocks are going to be done for my rock (laughs) tumbler tomorrow. (laughs) It's been a wild, like, two months (laughs) tumbling these bad boys. I get to I get to see the final look tomorrow. The fruits of your labors. The fruits of, of a poor little 
tire on a wheel. <laughs> it's just been. <laughs> it's going to be weird not having that sound. It's hilarious. But yeah, I'm really excited because now I have. I had nice rocks, but now I have shiny rocks. <laughs> so I can't wait to see them. I'll take a picture so you can share in socials. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see them. I know everybody wants to see their <laughs> the rocks. <laughs> I want to see my shiny rocks. <laughs> what about you? What's something good? I know not everyone is super into Charlie, my ball python, <laughs> but he had a shed recently, and that's a big deal because he hasn't like eaten in a month. Because he's been like preparing for his shed. Mm-hmm. And it's not a precise measurement, but every time he has a full shed, I like stretch it out and I like measure how long it is. Mm-hmm. Gross. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little gross. <laughs> so the last time he shed, he was like 44 inches long. Mm-hmm. And this time, it is 53 inches long. So he has Dang. grown almost 10 inches. And he's actually bigger than the average male ball python. Because typically oh they get to be like three and a half feet long. Mm-hmm. So he's a big boy, which makes me feel good that he's healthy. He's yeah. not chunky or anything. So Nice. Congratulations on your big boy status, Charlie. You're such a big boy. <laughs> such a big boy. Yeah. So I'm just, I always get nervous when he doesn't eat for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I know that once he reaches maturity, like he'll probably just eat like once a month. Like it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah. But, you know, you get nervous when they don't right. eat for a month and they're just like hiding underneath their hide <laughs> and getting like ashier and ashier looking until they yeah. finally shed. Yeah. So, yay, Charlie. Yay, Charlie. And on that note, let's shut her down. Let's do it. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. A great way to support the show, if you'd like to help us out but you can't do so financially, is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Pod Chaser, Good Pods, or wherever you can leave a rating and review. This week's comes from Apple Podcasts, and it comes from the Homicide Worldwide podcast, and it says, Scary Stories, Great Hosts. Found this podcast on Twitter. Instant fan, the hosts find really interesting, weird, spooky, and often really scary stories. The hosts have a very natural conversational flow and stick to the content. They throw in some humor, which is always fun when discussing scary topics. Since you're You're here, (laughs) give them a five-star review. They deserve it. Great podcast, Lindsay and Madison. By the way, I liked the first 18 episodes. Aww. I put a disclaimer at the beginning of the first 18 because the audio wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. That was like before we upgraded our equipment. So thank you for liking our show. Even when the audio quality wasn't that great. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. 
If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. And I don't know what's going on with our tea public. Um, there might be a sale. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Check the socials because that's when you'll know. Because I don't know. The socials, you know, yeah. as, the, as the kids say. Yep. Check the tweeter if it hasn't imploded. If it still exists. And you'll know. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime. <laughs>